Tom Bagri is no longer LifeSearch's CEO. Debbie Kennedy is. I went along to LifeSearch London a couple of weeks ago to see how they're both feeling at this crucial juncture. Hope you enjoy. It is quite intriguing how everybody expects this to fail. Yes. They expect yeah. it to fail because I'm an entrepreneur yeah. and you've been in big corporates. Yeah. And you and I don't really quite believe it that much. We think it's going to be pretty easy. We may well find <laughs> that we were wrong. <laughs> how, how are we going to make it succeed? I, is that, I think, first of all, Tom, I, I'm fascinated as well by you that the question I keep getting asked by everyone is not so much what's the plan for life search or what you're going to do in the market, but how you're going to work with Tom. Um, and I, I can't think, you know, of joining a company and someone being so fascinated in my bossy and our boss's relationship. But I, I think in a way, it's, it's maybe a testament to your, um, you and life search that people can't quite distinguish the self you from life search as a being with a Tom being there. So I think that's quite an interesting dynamic to you know to everyone life search is Tom and Tom is life search so the fact that you've got someone coming in the second only CEO um, who couldn't be more different one female one not from an overtly retail background you know not not got the the kind of booming baritone (laughs) voice has got still got a bit of the Scottish lilt um, but I think what what they're missing, and, and maybe it's it's what you can't see, is probably the two of us are so aligned on one what we want to deliver into the market for unprotected families. How I think we both believe Life Search can go forward in its next phase of growth, and and so I think there's so much that's similar between us that in some respects, it's it's almost going to be hard to find something to disagree on. I know we will, but at the moment, we're coming almost from the same place and we want to get to the same place, but look different and styles are going to be completely different. So I, th- I think I, in some ways, this is the first time I've ever come in somewhere and thought, well, yeah, such, you know, alignment and simpatico with, with the boss. So that's why we think it might be quite easy. I just said in our, our last yeah. meeting together uh, was that if you succeed in this job and you do what I know, well, you do to life search what you did for your previous mm-hmm. three uh, employers, well, then my life is made immensely easy at every level. Yeah. Uh, and my life's achievement is effectively, my working achievement is mm-hmm. effectively signed off as a complete success. And what would I do? What would, why, why would I do anything to make that more difficult? Why would any entrepreneur do anything yeah. to make that more difficult? And I think there can only be one answer why an entrepreneur does that. Apart from the fact it doesn't work, of course, mm-hmm. if the numbers go yeah. south and keep going south, well, okay, that's a different thing. But that's not your track record. That's not what life mm-hmm. search is likely to face. Uh, I think the thing is ego. I think if you run your own business for long enough, you do become a person who fully expects everything they say to be done. Yeah. And I'm certainly partly that, no question. Mm. But that's just the suppression of ego mm. for ulterior motive, yeah. for, for another motive. 
uh, which is success and the eventual recognition of having built a business which is now a fantastic success uh, and which is no longer associated, except in a nice way, with Tom. It's not synonymous. Uh, it's synonymous with Debbie or synonymous with the Chiefs Leadership Team, as we call them, or whatever. That, boy, what a way to end your career. What an opportunity you've presented me with. And all I have to do, frankly, is not fuck it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and likewise. <laughs> but you know, I use that expression because you must and will make tons of mistakes. You'll be making executive decisions all over. You take full responsibility for the PL because that way you control the show and I don't interfere. And that has to be yeah. how these things work. That's, everyone has made clear. Our executive coach, the, the excellent Alison Perdue, has you know, made that unequivocally clear that every time I speak to anyone in the company, I need to be very careful, yeah. very careful that I'm doing nothing to undermine you uh, or even give them the impression I might be, even if I don't think mm -hmm. I am, would they think I am? So that's, yeah, I've got to be a very uh, circumspect uh, person going forward. But that means you have all the mistakes to make. So it, it, it's, I can back up completely, you will make lots of mistakes. So that's okay. And, and I have to react to them in a way, way that would I have done any better? <laughs> I don't I, think so. I always, I really believe that if, if I don't make mistakes, I'm not trying hard enough. And that, that to me is, um, you know, one of the things I've always, maybe not been afraid to fail and, and in that way have had success. And it's easy to say, hard to do. And, and I've worked with so many people who actually are afraid to fail and will avoid making a decision as a result or taking a risk. So yes, if, I, if I'm not making a few, the trick is to keep them small, um, to learn from them <laughs> and, and to deliver, deliver better. Um, so yeah, it can't be one failure after the other. Absolutely, absolutely. You were talking just earlier about how well aligned you are. Given that, what are the hopes for Life Search, but maybe more broadly, like if you could bring change to the industry today, what would they be? When I was going through this process, I almost was the question I was asking myself is why would um, Life Search get a CEO in? You know, because you can argue well, I've been doing quite well without having the need for one. Mm -hmm. And and it's a, an extra role, it's, you know, an extra cost. And and for me, it's, you know, my, I suppose my view and vision for Life Search is that I can help architect the change that's needed for the next phase. And I talked about that next phase of, of growth because I don't think this is about saying we're doing something completely different and a different direction, but it's actually building on what we've got. Um, but there are a couple of things that, that will drive that, that maybe need a slightly different way, way of thinking. Um, and, and one of them is, I think, almost the the warp speed nature of technology now and, and what's happening all around us and customers, unprotected families, what they expect and how they want to do business. So, you know, we, we, we talk about COVID um, and the pandemic being this great digital accelerator, but it, it's probably what it really did. It, it, it made the adoption to digital so much quicker and easier than anything we've been, you know, trying to push for years. And now I think, um, 
you know, our customers and arguably our future, future customers, younger people, are so used to a different way of interacting with services and customers and being parts of a community. So for me, what really excites me is almost architecting that change for for life search. And it's really easy to just talk about a digital strategy and think, oh, well, there you go, that's it. And, and there is like the remains of, you know, many a kind of 20, 30 million IT project and lots of companies that have thought, well, digital will, will yeah. be it. And, and the, the, the next thing for me, as well as sort of just the technology, though, is the customer journey. You know, how will we interact with customers? Um, how will we help them make decisions? And how ultimately will we be able to, you know, get them protected in a way that feels that they've done something good, you know, that they feel that part of that process has been really worthwhile? So, so yeah. that is exactly correct. And is it in effect the culmination or the, or the, or the, the, the next big step in some, a strategy that I first, I think it was 2009, I first said, mm. we need to own the machines because no matter how good they are, yeah. they will throw off the need for yeah. people to help people over the phone. All that the improvement of the online journeys does is reduce the rate at which that yeah. help is needed. A brilliant online only doesn't need much of it. Mm -hmm. But protection is so necessarily complex if it's going to be done properly that that rate will never drop that low. And the way to get more people talking to you on the phone is to have journeys which more people follow yeah. online. Yeah. So they if you can get half the population yeah. going down your yeah. online journey, then you will yeah. need thousands and thousands of people yeah. to answer their questions over the phone as they arise. Uh, and that that creation yeah. of what, what in, in 2019, mm -hmm. I think it was, if I'm roughly right, I, I called the blended hybrid journey uh, mm -hmm. online, supported by voice, is where the whole thing is set up mm -hmm. to enable the customer to reach out and want to reach out to voice service when it's right for them, rather than the voice service trying to dictate to the customer, you will speak to me now because I want you to, because that's how I've organized my exactly, pay structure or yeah. my, my yeah. commercial relationships or whatever. So that blended hybrid journey needs. Now, it was when I began to realize through our project Apollo, mm -hmm. just what all of that meant, those fine words that yeah. I actually meant, that I realized I was no longer the mm -hmm. person to lead life search. What life search needed was someone who could do precisely what you articulated, mm -hmm. take us forward into that, that digital and customer journey world. Uh, so yeah. we are triumphant at it. And I'm not the man you would have hired to do that. What you have done, and, and this is where I think at LifeSearch we have, we have such a, a, in some ways a unique opportunity, is because we have that foundation of advice and we have that foundation of trust um, and guiding customers and being able to talk to them. And, and I, I, something you know, I say a lot is, these customer journeys that I, I think about now is, is sort of digital where you want it, but the human touch where you need it. And I, that to me is what's really difficult to get right in, in these journeys. And that's why I say, you know, anyone can talk about a digital strategy and automating, and the technology has been around for a time. So if it was easy, we would, that's what the way we would be doing it. But we all know that uh, our... Um, you know, customers, consumers, it's it's a big decision for them to, to suddenly, you know, make a commitment to buying life cover, buying critical illness. And it and we have 
unfortunately made it complex in some areas. So how do you bring together, it's almost knit together that I think almost fantastic heritage of advice, trust, we know how to guide you as a customer, but actually we have a very good journey for you. So you'll find us where you need to find us, we'll make it easy for you, and ultimately we'll make you feel as though you've done the right thing. So that, that's what I think is difficult for people to create, and, and I think it'll be difficult for people to replicate. <laughs> we do it well, and that's what you always want, the barrier to stand true for others. I think the hardest part yeah. perhaps to, to replicate Although, as you say that, yeah. I'm, really, yeah. I'm not sure of this yeah. anymore because what you're saying seems even harder. But the, uh, the other thing that you inherit is, is a, a culture within the business that is, if you like, extremely confident of the good that it does. Yeah. Um, and uh, perhaps sometimes, mm. not entirely correctly, yeah. I mean, life is life, we make mistakes, we do things wrong. But both, we, we have these five values uh, created now, eight, nine, ten, eight, nine years ago, I think it must have been. There's only one of the five values that is a business value, a genuine business value, and that is excellence. Mm-hmm. And excellence is kind of tagged on at the end because the other four values kind of sit, it seems to me, in two groupings. The first group is what do you need to do and show and behave like internally in order to replicate something externally mm-hmm. that will deliver excellence? So if your internal culture is one of openness, where you really tell people far more than most businesses would about the business, you reveal your plans very early, you talk indiscreetly about all sorts of things, of course you expect personal confidence and and business partners, trading partners, confidences and things like that, but but only, only when you have to, that encourages everyone within the business to deliver honesty. Yeah. To customers. Yeah. And so the excellence is achieved through honesty. And the other aspect of it is that within the business, if you show tolerance to people, not being tolerant, yeah. that's slightly that's slightly difficult. Tolerating, that's slightly mm-hmm. different, but tolerance is a beautiful thing. That that tolerance uh, can enable people to feel cared for, to feel really yeah. you know, accepted in a place despite their differences, and we are all different, uh, obvs, but the uh, that then allows them to deliver care. It's not a cultural burden, it's, it's a bit of a cultural triumph, if I can be so bold, in, in, in our sector or in any sector. You know, the business has got to about 50 million in turnover, and I swear to you those are true. Actually, I can't quite, I swear to you they were true halfway through lockdown. But this period post-lockdown, whew, yeah, it's very hard to get a handle on what any of us are thinking. That's interesting, yeah. I know. Um, so, so yeah. thanks for coming in now, because it was just beginning to slip, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll hand it over to you, you carry on. There we go. You carry on. I'll get started. <laughs> um, what do you think about this period in the world, this period that we can now oh, trade so in? It's, um, I, I feel that, um, to some extent, uncertainty is going to be a companion for a while. We, we've almost got a series of... Um, I think still small and immediate, probably little crises to go through, which we're seeing now. You know, we, you know, we're, we, you know, we, we, we start to sort of live with COVID, and then we're hit with the the aftermath of it, which is now maybe in the supply chains and and how we go about doing business and and labour shortages and wage demands, and also 
I think our own, you know, people we work with, um, really evaluating what they want out of life and what they want from an employer and how they want to work as well. So I don't think we're anywhere close to being almost through this yet. You know, I, I think that it'll be a lot a series of adjustments. So I've stopped trying to predict what and <laughs> because of that, you know. For me, it's then, how do you respond to that one, one as, as a, an employer? And like you say, you know, how, how do you create um, almost a new, a new workplace, a new way of working, and, and potentially a culture, which I think you were, you know, talking about there, you know, how does it adapt? But then how's your marketplace adapting as well? I, I actually think you know, the boom we saw in 2020 where there was nothing like a global pandemic to focus people's mind on sickness and health and their mortality and what would happen to their families you know, if they weren't there and the fragility of, of earnings, it's something I, I spoke about. That, that came to the fore, but that, that we've spoken about that as an industry for decades, but all of a sudden we just had this global accelerator that helped us. I think the challenge for us is how do you make sure that that doesn't slip away? Um, not that we keep people in a heightened sense of panic, I don't think people want that, but for the very reasons they were thinking about it last year, they should still think about it this year and the next year and the next year. Um, but I think we're gonna to have to adapt to how we, we tell that story, how we speak to our customers as well. Mm. But I, I think I started out just saying, yeah, I think uncertainty is just going to be, be with us. So I don't know, I know there's a budget being set. I know there was a, a five year plan set. <laughs> that was all pre-COVID. <laughs> so so the budget was set, our plans were formed yeah. through, they started in 2019, uh, and the, the chiefs met yeah. again with our, our, the excellent Alison Perdue, our coach, uh, and we formulated those 10 pillars. And they really are, they're, they're, both, they're so good, they, they look a bit obvious really. So that's great. Um, and those I envisage continuing quite merrily. Then what happened was we began to build the five-year plan of those pillars and, and we came up with all sorts of ideas. And, and the one overarching goal we said was that by 2026, we would be protecting 400,000 families a year, which was a fourfold four increase on the 100,000 we were scheduled to protect in 2020. In fact, we protected far more in 2020. So you could say we were ahead of schedule, yeah. but hmm, these things have a way of evening out, as as as, uh, as you implied earlier. So the so we've got our big number, yeah. and that's great. Then the business plan to develop that uh, was built on the back of a, a digital marketing transformation that we talked about earlier, uh, and that looks brilliant. Yeah. That really is easy, and that's what you take over to evolve and develop as yeah. you see fit. Uh, and without any doubt at all, the the interesting thing is though that the year after the huge year of success has just entered in August and if I'm honest with you Debbie I didn't think we were going to get near our profit target for the year because our revenue in the last few quarters the quarters for black post mm -hmm. pandemic was down as was the yeah. whole market and our more direct competitors were, were down just sort of same levels we were as I understood it from them 
Uh, and so I'm like, okay, we're going to miss our revenue. In my final year as CEO, I'm going to miss my, uh, miss my profit target. Oh, well, that's, I suppose this happens. Time to go, Tom. And lo and behold, the finance team worked their magic, magic. squeezed the costs, shoved them around a bit, sorted it all out, <laughs> and we smashed our profit target by a couple of quid. <laughs> so I was able to turn to you yeah. and say, ha, look what I've done in my 22-year yeah. tenure. I've never missed a profit target. Of course, I never set profit targets until yeah. a few years ago. That wasn't what we bothered with. We just ran the company day to day. But uh, so now I hand over to you an unparalleled record of success and say, carry on with it. I'm sure there's, there's some dark arts of accountancy going on there. <laughs> they're, they were, they're, they're all legitimate, they're all, yeah. they're all fine, but yes, it was cost savings caused by struggling to succeed, where obviously you don't spend money because you're not making money, yes, if you see yeah. what I mean. It was those that yeah. got us over the line. So, and that's not a model that, you know, that's not the model to replicate. No. That model soon winds you down into a smaller business. And, uh, and we have uh, huge ambitions. Well, 400,000 protected mm. families yeah. by 2026 is uh, not to be sneezed at. So, most of our listeners, most people, will have experienced okay. entering into a company at a, a low level or a mid-level. Yeah. But what does it feel like right now to be entering at the highest level? That's a great question. Um, I... And, it's daunting, that, that's what I would say, um, but in a good way. So I think for me, I thrive on the challenge. And, and you know, I, th I think if I didn't almost have that, you know, nervousness about something, it's not the right thing to do. Sure. Um, so I, I, I like that. But I'm almost, um, it's maybe daunting in a way of the expectation. And, and I almost feel that I carry that weight, you know, quite, quite heavily because I'm in no doubt that, you know, I always talk about the leadership shadow. And, and when you're in these positions, you know, if you're good or bad, you, you cast a leadership shadow because you're, you're sort of at the apex and you've got the mandate and, and you know, you've got the positional power and, and you can impact you know, you can impact culture, you can impact how people feel about their, their place of work, you know, how motivated they are. So I think that's what I, in some way, I feel daunting, it's daunted because I just don't want to, in um, Tom's words, fuck that up. <laughs> and the culture, is because I did ask him what was, what was the sacred cow and he just basically said, don't fuck up the culture. <laughs> so that was that. <laughs> so I think there is, um, for me, it's, it's about making sure I can be myself, because I do feel you that I can't be Tom and I no. can't pretend to be Tom and, and I'm going to be something absolutely different. So how can I be myself? Um, and at the same time, almost give that reassurance to the searchers, don't worry, it's all going to be okay, I've got this. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it. So that, that's what is, is to me is the challenge coming in at that level. And maybe what's different from some previous roles, well, actually, I, I have had to come in before and, and immediately kind of get going and make decisions and sort some a crisis out. But it feels that this isn't a role that you could say you've got to ease your way into. I mean, I'm already feel as though I'm in it now, yeah. So there'll be no easing. <laughs> so that was all about 
Yeah, entering in. I mean, obviously, you're, you're sitting next to one kind of leader, and you've said yourself that you're a very different kind of leader. To the searchers and, and hopefully the industry listening, mm -hmm. what kind of leader do you hope to be for Life Search? And is that in any way different to the leader that you've been in the past? I don't think it is. I, and because I, I really believe this as someone who has you know, been through coaching and on the courses over a few decades of being in business, I don't think you can actually make yourself something that you're not. I think you can learn some leadership traits and, and you can be, you know, maybe um, a bit more mindful of things you say, but ultimately I think your true self comes through. So I can't see me being any different than, than I, I normally am. And for me, the what kind of leader am I? Um, I think leadership is all about getting the best out of people um, and so somehow you it, it is um, it, it's a, you know quite dynamic in a way you know that you're constantly on you're constantly you know making sure that everybody's got the opportunity to for me it's quite simple be great at work you know, just create that that opportunity. Um, if if I I have to always think about it, and maybe this is what people learn about me. I that I don't think has to come at the expense of running a business well. So we've got Debbie coming in, and Tom isn't leaving. But how do you feel about exiting that that CEO role? Yes, maybe is entering at a high level. I'm exiting at a high level, just exiting quite slowly and gradually because from a purely personal perspective, I really want to stay involved in the business, but I want to stay involved where my abilities are most useful. And you asked me, I think, about the differences between herself and myself as a leader, I would say that essentially Debbie is an expert at things I am not. She's an absolute expert, trained much of her career, much of your career now, uh, as an underwriter. And increasingly our business, our market's ability to serve customers is defined by underwriting. There are huge underwriting challenges to do with freedom of data mm -hmm. and all the rest, which the business, the retailer who can overcome these and, and work with reinsurers and insurers best stands a real chance of, of becoming super successful. Um, and the second is that Debbie is numerate. <laughs> Her intelligence lies uh, in many, many different places, but one of them is that she can look at reams of data and she can see stuff. I can't look at reams of data. I can do words. So where do words really help life search going forward? The, the, if the key to me enabling Debbie to succeed is staying out of the P&L, staying out of the operational side of the business, not doing any more than asking Debbie how's it going once a quarter, really, which is what a board meeting does, that, that, that'll be it. Um, if, if The key to that is to give me something else to do. And the things that I have done with relative success all involve talking. And frankly, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was good at, so I'll keep doing those. As to when I quit, 2026, I'm 65. That's why that number was set there, just a fit of ego, 400,000 to, to get me out of the business. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll quit when Debbie tells me to. <laughs>
Hold you to that. Let's do a softly, softly question to finish. This job will be hard. So when the day ends, how do you chill? Do you know, that's, that's not a soft question, that's a hard question. Okay. I, I find it very difficult to switch off. Okay. Um, and I always have, and that's one of the reasons I don't think I, I will retire, because I, I have no hobbies or anything. My whole life has been work and then, and then kind of family sort of around that. Um, so I, I think for me, um, it's some of it just switching off is is just having space to think that that's almost I just need to stop you know I mean and just you know thinking it's as easy as taking my dog for a walk and uh, we got we we have um, a two-year-old who'll be two next month a German Shepherd um, who we got just before lockdown and he has just been wonderful and and that's it yeah so it feels quite quite tame, but often it's just having space to think. But in that time, that's where I get a lot of the eureka moments and the ideas Absolutely. come. Yeah. yeah. But no hobbies yet. I have no. Isn't there talk of a, of, yeah. a, of a yacht and pool? Well, this is. I was just about to say when I thought Thomas. So I I feel that um, if this was one of those Sunday Times interviews, you know the page where they say, yeah. "What's your life like?" and I say, "I get up at four thirty and I go to the gym and then." I play tennis and I do all that. Mine would be so boring and it would be, <laughs> I walk my dog. But so I feel I need some CEO hobbies. And seeing as I live in Poole, we've decided, well, maybe we just have to get into boating. Um, but we're not quite sure it quite fits our um, Scottish working class backgrounds. My husband's not quite sure yet about <laughs> whether yachting is his thing. So. Yeah. I feel I mean the water is wonderfully peaceful. Yes, I tell you no what, what I can the going back to um, just the weekend and walking on the beach, the sea is fantastic. I have to say that's maybe all you need. And that is a perfect place to end. It's interesting. Each of the leaders my dad and I have interviewed so far have had such different auras. Debbie is seemingly totally at ease with herself, immensely capable to the point of being unflappable. At least, that's how it seems. I guess we'll find out. Thank you, Debbie and Tom, for that fantastic conversation. This has been Searching for Elephants. Please subscribe, and why not send me some feedback? Angus Bakery at lifesearch.co.uk. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>